Ahoy hoy, you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and you are listening to Everybody Trades. And speaking of listening, you know what? One of the things that's been bothering me a little bit lately, one of my pet peeves, seems like people really aren't nearly as good at listening as they used to be. Now, it's one of those things where everybody thinks they're a good listener, and everybody thinks that they're a good multitasker. They really do. I've especially found this to be true. Well, sorry, honey, but at home, my wife will be watching, say, Modern Family together or something, and I'll turn around and I'll see that she's looking at her phone, and she knows this kind of annoys me because, you know what? I don't think she can listen to Modern Family and look at her phone at the same time, but she insists that she can. Well, from my experience... I promise you that isn't the case. And I'm certainly I'm certainly no exception to that. I notice, say if I'm watching the Chiefs game or something, and all of a sudden I use the Chiefs as an, as an example because, in theory, I'm more locked in to that on anything, right? My favorite football team. But even I am guilty of getting sucked into Twitter or a text message or something, and I'll realize, gosh, I really haven't paid attention to the last two plays there. Even though I'm hearing the announcers in the background, my eyes and focus are definitely on my smartphone. And you know what? The reason I give you that little story is because the other day I was listening to the Adam Carolla show and one of his frequent guests is Neil deGrasse Tyson, the famous, well, I'd call him a a TV physicist, but that sounds insulting. I just mean TV physicist because he's on television a lot. I don't mean that as He's not a real physicist or anything, but he's certainly a a popular figure these days, and he does a great job of explaining a lot of stuff in the cosmos and theory of relativity, time, all that good stuff, gravity and its effect on relativity and time, and just a bunch of really high-level stuff that, frankly, is not my area of expertise whatsoever. But one of my areas of expertise is the field of economics and especially free trade. And Neil got off on a little bit of a rant the other day that when I listened to it live, when I listened to it the first time, it actually triggered a little bit of an emotion in me and made me think, oh no, here Neil, Neil's going for the old, but without the government, how would we build the roads argument? I thought that's where he was going with that. Essentially, that we wouldn't have roads and highways and places where we could easily go from point A to point B with our cars without our precious government. But you know what? It turned out I wasn't listening as closely as I should have been. In fact, it turned out that Neil was making a much more subtle point than I thought he was. Now, Neil and Adam Carolla are having a discussion about green energy, and Adam Carolla says essentially that, you know what, this whole idea of wind, solar, whatever it might be, it's never going to work if you're just going to rely on people to, quote, do the right thing. Because we're all so price sensitive that we're going to take whatever is generally the cheapest form of energy that actually works. That was his point. And then Neil, well, he quite wisely, in my opinion, after listening back to this clip, has, a, has some really good subtle points that I'll follow up on after this bite. So now one of the problems in this equation is 
the consumption of oil is not fully priced into the price of oil. So, for example, just to remember, well, uh, when roads were built, our tax money built roads. That enabled car companies to sell cars. If you paid, if, if excuse me, if the price of gas contained the price of the cost of making all the roads to drive the car on, it would be way higher than anything we ever paid for it. And then you'd see the true cost to you of using that technology, the internal combustion engine. So things are kind of costs are the actual price of things are kind of hidden within various sectors in society. Yeah, again, listening back to that for the maybe third, fourth time here, I think what bothered me initially and what caused me to stop listening is when Neil said that our money, our tax money, enabled roads to be built, essentially. Well, again, whether we can quibble about exactly what he meant there, but I think the important thing is to realize that at the end there, that's his important point. The end there where he says that the costs, the real costs of driving, essentially are hidden. So what does that mean? That means that essentially government-run roads via eminent domain, via taxation, that is essentially road construction companies and oil companies being subsidized by the taxpayer. That's all that is. So this idea that, oh, without eminent domain, without taxes being forcibly removed from people without those hidden costs essentially instead of direct costs well without that we wouldn't have roads we wouldn't have cars yada 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 that's all nonsense but again degrasse tyson his point about how costs are hidden is quite brilliant and as some people who are anti-social security for instance say maybe that's not the greatest idea in the world for a whole bunch of reasons. Well, one thing they'll point out is that Social Security would be almost certainly a lot less popular among the masses if people had to directly pay their payroll taxes by writing a check every single pay period. Instead, your payroll taxes are deducted automatically from your pay before you receive your paycheck. And the contention of many people, and I tend to agree with this, is if you actually saw it, if it wasn't essentially hidden, I mean poorly hidden, don't get me wrong, but in a way it is hidden. It's psychologically hidden away from people. It's not something that they think about a lot. That does help the popularity of Social Security, for sure. And I think the point here is that, well, obviously at the start here, if we can hide the, the cost of the roads, if you don't have to pay tolls at every road, well, that's going to make cars more popular. That's true. I'm sure that that's true on, on some psychological level. And you know what? Speaking of eminent domain, again, there's this idea that, well, gee, without the government to decide exactly where every road should go, especially in terms of, say, interstate highways, well... If we, need to, if we need a road to go through somebody's property, we just need to do it. Because, yeah, that might be unfair for the person. It might be bad for the person who owns that property. But by golly, the public, its public interest outweighs the individual interests. Because, yeah, this one person, this one family, while they might be harmed by this, overall, it's going to be a positive outcome 
for the public. That's the argument with, with eminent domain, right? Well, let's hear what Bugs Bunny thought about that argument when he was taking a nice day nap in his home, in his humble abode. For all intents and purposes, Bugs Bunny in this cartoon is a human being, right? He can speak English with the construction worker you're about to hear in this clip, and he's clearly homesteaded this area. He has a mailbox, in fact, a federal mailbox that says B Bunny on it. So let, let's put aside the fact that he's not a human being in this one. We'll, we'll just treat Bugs Bunny as a human being for this particular episode. How about that? Just for the sake of example. What's up, Doc? Huh? Well, for your information, Long Ears, we're building a freeway. Oh, so that's it. I thought I was having a bad case of toy mites. Well, uh, thanks for the info, pal, and no hard feelings. Happy freeway! Freeway? Hold it, Mac. Hold it. Hold it. There must be some mistake. You see, a freeway through here would wreck my home. Well, why don't you sell it? Sell it? <laughs> now, who'd want to buy a hole? Well, if you don't move, we'll blast you out. Oh, no, you won't. A man's home is his castle, and I'm staying right here, Mac. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and you can't make me move, smarty pants. Oh, yeah? Yep. So the interesting thing about this cartoon, among several things, at least this particular clip, is that clearly Bugs Bunny is set up as the good guy in this scenario. He's the protagonist. And the government worker, the construction worker, the highway worker, clearly he's the antagonist. Clearly he is the aggressor in this scenario. And that's accurate. Because anytime any eminent domain scenario... Who is the aggressor? Is it the person who owns his home, who's maintained his home, who has got the most elegant carrot kitchen you could possibly imagine? I, I'm, I'm grasping here. But you see my point. The point is, is Bugs is in the right, the government guy's in the wrong. And yet, when we take it out to some broad level, out to, well, you know, Sure, in this one instance, uh, but overall we can justify it with that's never any kind of logic that supports a moral society. It just isn't. No, individual rights have to be project to have to be protected or else all of us suffer. Right? Sure, you don't care if your neighbor's house gets eminent domain, maybe. But you should care when yours does. It's also interesting to note that this particular episode, which was called, what was it called? I had the title here somewhere. It was called No Parking Hair. There we go. Yes, made in 1954. Some two years before the Interstate Highway Act was signed by President Eisenhower. So that's pretty interesting, right? Bugs Bunny getting political. You gotta love it. I mean, they were way ahead of the curve on that. And, and honestly... The real thing to realize here is just to is just that, that there was not a 100%, hey, let's get on board with this interstate highway system thing, was there? Now, whether your house was affected by your property, was affected by the eminent domain laws or not, regardless, some of your property 
at that time and to this day is and was being seized by the government for these purposes. It's called taxes, right? The building and upkeep of those roads happened directly via our tax dollars. Now, of course, the interest, another interesting thing to note is, is back in the 1950s, not as many people owned cars as they do today. Practically everyone owns a car in this day and age. Practically every home has a couple cars, at least. But back then, of course, yes, well, cars, obviously, in the 1950s were more prevalent than they were in the 30s and in previous decades. It was still a relatively high-ticket item and an item that was mostly for the upper classes, let's put it that way, more so than it is today. Now people who are below the poverty line have a car. I promise you that wasn't the case in the 1950s necessarily. So what that means is even the people who did not drive, but yes, indeed, made wages and paid taxes, well, Again, even the people who don't drive, don't own a car, yes, they have to be subsidized. They must be forced to subsidize the interstate highway system, road construction as well. So let's contrast that. In a world where there was there's no government, arguably it would have taken longer for a interstate type highway system to develop. That is true possibly. But it's also possible that people, the market didn't necessarily want that type of highway system, but it was shoved down our throats anyway. And really the key point here, again, is just to remember that all of us were subsidizing this. And that's essentially how every government program works. If you're a taxpayer, you're subsidizing it. You have no choice. Now, how does it work in a free market? Well, in a free market, the rich are often the early adopters of any new technology, any new piece of machinery, whatever it might be. So if that's true, then why would the roads be any different? If the rich people were the first people to get cars, which they were, those wasn't poor people who were the first people to get cars. Obviously, it was rich people. Well, they would like some place to drive these cars. You think that demand might create some supply? Of course it would. That's how every bit of Econ 101 works. When rich people, particularly people with money to blow, when they want something, there's going to be somebody out there who's willing to provide it and sell it to them. Why would roads be any different? And in fact, it'd be a better outcome because the people, the early adopters of cars and roads, they'd be the ones who are paying for it. See, if you, say, if you think about any technology, think about throughout your life, if you're old enough to remember VHS players, for instance, LaserDisc, DVD. Remember when DVD players first came out? I'm sure all of you are old enough to remember that. DVD players were incredibly expensive, wildly expensive. And the players back then that were the most expensive aren't even close to as good technologically as the cheap brand new players that are sold in stores today. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the people, the early adopters of DVD players, they were essentially guinea pigs for the rest of us. That technology was not perfect yet. It, wasn't cer- it certainly wasn't as good as it would become. And in spite of all that, 
the early adopters of technology, they decide, I want the, the best and the brightest and the shiniest new piece of whether it's technology, it might be vehicles, it might be clothing, any kind of, any kind of stuff. Obviously, when you buy things farther down the production cycle, new competitors enter the market, new versions come in. Prices of the old ones, the old technology, go down as new technology continues to emerge. This is all very simple, and it certainly works that way. There's no reason it can't work that way in the auto industry, just as it does in any other industry you can possibly think of. Really, if it's a free market, the more free the market is, if there's a new product, Guess who's going to pay for it at first? Guess who paid tens of thousands of dollars for the first high-definition televisions around the turn of the millennium? Rich people. And now everybody can get a TV for $300. You just got to wait for a while. You know? So if the worst outcome was that the interstate highway system or something like it, essentially, would have taken longer to develop, maybe, that's actually not a bad outcome. That's a good outcome. Because if it took time to develop, that means that something wasn't working just right. They hadn't figured out how to make it efficient or good enough to get it to the masses. And that's always the big ticket, right? It's great to sell things to rich people. But if you can sell your product to the masses, to all of us, now that's where the big money is. Honestly, you want people profit-motivated. You want that to happen. Or else, what do you get? You get our current system of freeways and highways that are in a seemingly constant state of repair. They're basically death traps. People die. Tens of thousands of people die on our, on our highways every year, at least thousands. And on top of that, the supply isn't meeting demand either, is it? Go to any major city in this country and you'll find major, major traffic congestion. The supply is not meeting the demand. We don't have modern highways and modern roads in the same way that we have our modern, cheaper, and better DVD players. It's not happening. Because you know what? The market has very little to do. The price mechanism freedom of choice, all that stuff has very little to do with our highways and our roads. And you know what? At the end of this Bugs Bunny cartoon, after lots of poor efforts by the construction people to try to get Bugs Bunny out of his hole, well, eventually they try to dump a bunch of concrete on him. Bugs opens up an umbrella, which only serves to fortify his home against the possible invaders of the government. And at the end of it, they, they, they compromise with Bugs. Bugs is able to keep his home, and the freeway continues. The freeway construction continues. It just simply curves around Bugs's home. That's all that happened. See, actually, property owners can negotiate. There, there is negotiations here. There is a happy medium. We can both be happy. I can keep my home. And the rest of you can have your roads. That's the amazing thing about freedom, isn't it? It divvies out these resources that we have that are at some point finite. Well, it gets them to the most important 
places that they need, right? Because who knows if we needed all these highways that were built in the 50s, for instance. Who knows if those are the best places for them to be today? In fact, I can say almost without certain, with, with total certainty, that not every single highway that was built in the 50s, the 60s, the interstate highway system, if you just, if you just started over and did that today in 2019, you wouldn't have the same highways. So again, lack of dynamism there, right? We're just going to live in 1956 forever when that, when that bill was passed? That sounds ridiculous to me. I like progress. I like the market. And the market has far more order, in fact, than the willy-nilly, hey, let's put a road there in 1956 and see how that goes, nature of the federal government. And with that, I'm going to get out of here on this episode of Everybody Trades. Hope you're enjoying these trips down Bugs Bunny memory lane as much as I am. I'm John Miller. See you guys next time. The sanctity of the American home must be preserved.